Hey guys, it's your friend Amy. Welcome to another episode of the Barrel Horse Life Podcast. Today's episode has a ton packed into it, and I cannot wait to jump into it with my next guest. In case you're new, hello and welcome. I'm Amy Davenport. I'm just a normal Midwest barrel racer turned podcaster. I have a passion to talk about all things horses, barrel racing, and everything in between. The good, the fun, the bad, and the ugly. We are going to cover it all right here because this is the Barrel Horse Life. My next guest and I have way more in common than I ever could have imagined. I mean, I haven't won five fraternities in a row or anything remotely close. But we both have a massive passion for all things horses, a strong faith in God, and we both have had head trauma that have led us to where we were today, together, right here on this podcast. Some have called them the dream team winning over $400,000 in one single fraternity season in 2021. Her horse, Hello Stella, has people running to the fence to watch the two of them run. When they run together, it's like watching history happen. They are breaking records and making lifelong memories along the way. She's just finishing up writing her first book called Unshakable, which will be coming out extremely soon. And then, of course, she just told me she's working on a very exciting new project. It's a premiere course that will be available online called Inside a Champion's Barn, giving you full access to training, breeding, how-tos, and so much more. Insert teenage squeal here. I'm Amy Davenport, and this is the Barrel Horse Life Podcast. Today's episode, Sharon Hall. In 1993, Dr. John West showed that EIPH occurs during exercise when blood vessels in the lungs rupture. This is due to stress caused by high blood pressure on the inside of the vessels and strong suction forces on the outside. Only flare strips and Lasix, used together or alone, have been clinically proven to reduce EIPH. Lasix works by reducing the high internal pressures and flare strips work by reducing the suction forces on the outside. See the science at flarestrips.com. Hey, it's Amy. I was just chatting with my husband about how comfortable his hoodie was and he told me, you have got to order me another one of these. The Barrel Horse Life store is unlike any store. Here you get to pick the style, the color, the size, and then it's shipped directly to your front door. Their size is extra small through 5XL, men's, women's, kids, so much more to choose from. I'd really love for you to check it out for yourself at www.thebarrelhorselife.store. And if I may add, you have to check out the most comfortable hoodie. It's my favorite and, of course, my husband's favorite. Again, that's www.thebarrelhorselife.store.
Okay, well, we'll jump right into things. Um, so today on the show, we have the much-awaited Sharon Hall, which I'm so excited to have you on the show today because I'm a fan. I myself am a huge fan. So thank you for being on the show with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm glad to be here. My pleasure. So I'll let you start out by telling us who you are and a little bit about your background. Okay. Well, um, obviously, my name is Sharon Hall. I was actually born and raised in Ohio, near Columbus, just north of there. My, my mom and my dad had horses when I was very, very young. My dad actually um, became a trainer and a renowned farrier mm-hmm. in Ohio and um, competed against like Mary Berger and uh, a lot of greats, you know, that's up in the Northeast like that. And AQHA was kind of like a big deal then. But Mm -hmm. anyway, I'm the only one left in the family, obviously, that's um, doing horses still. So I guess it just got in my blood and never left. (laughs) I moved out to Oklahoma in 1999. So I haven't even done the math on that, but, you know, been out here almost 25 years probably. So it's how long I've been training uh, for the public until, you know, a year or two ago. I just kind of focused on my own riding and training my own horses, which is really nice because I've been working towards that for, I don't know, 10, 10 years or more. Yeah. Sometimes that takes a long time to be able to get to that point as a trainer, I'm sure. Yes, it's hard to say no. (laughs) I will agree. That's the hardest thing with being self-employed. That's the hardest thing to learn is the word no. And it's something I constantly struggle with as well. Yes. Especially when you're self-employed. You do learn when to say it. After so many years with experience doing that, I finally made it. So you're in Pilot Point, Texas now. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am, I am. And you've been there how long? Well, in, in, um, let's see, 2019, my husband Mark and I bought 36 acres. We tried to find a place already set up in the area, and um, we just couldn't find exactly what we both wanted. So we ended up just starting from scratch. So we bought 36 acres. It was basically a hay field. And then in 2020, we started um, the arena and barn. So everything is like under one roof now, which has kind of been my lifelong Mm -hmm. dream goal and finally have it. Yeah, I feel like that's every horse enthusiast's lifelong dream is to have, you know, indoor arena, nice barn, heated everything under one roof that would be so nice of course financially it's always one of those it's a dream because it costs so much especially to maintain you know things like that cost a lot to maintain but good for you I'm so happy for you that's awesome uh yeah that's uh insurance is probably the most expensive thing we have to pay for (laughs) it I bet um and taxes, property taxes, you know, we're in North Texas, Pilot Point, Aubrey area is just a fast growing um, county and uh, the taxes are really high. Thankfully, we're ag exemption. So. Oh, nice. Nice. I was down, I was down in that area. Oh, it's been several years ago. 
and it is a nice, nice area. I mean, you can definitely tell when you cross kind of county lines and you get into the next town, it's like something changed. You know, now all of a sudden you have these beautiful gates and giant homes and huge barns with like stone floors. And it's, it was, some of the barns that we were in were amazing. Yes, thank, it is a beautiful area, and you're right. It is. It's like there's a little corridor there up 377 from Aubrey all the way up to uh, Whitesboro, Texas, and it's very sandy um, off of Lake um, Ray Roberts, and so that's why all these farms and ranches were built like you know 40, 50 years ago, yeah. is it was a big sandy patch, and it's you know loamy and good for their feet and you know great to build on so but now we have dallas kind of moving north and northwest, and so that's we what i'm seeing as a realtor is a lot of developers are purchasing the larger tracts of land and you know sitting on them a lot of them will lease out you know the the horse facilities but it's eventually going to be developed into residential commercial. I think so. And so that's something else you do now is realtor work, correct? Yeah. So tell us a little yes. bit about that. How, how'd you get into that? Well, um, I mean, my first ranch I bought and I kind of, I like, was in Kingston, Oklahoma. And that was on 17 acres. It just had a house. I ended up buying a barn, building fence. Um, and then I sold it and made a profit. And then I bought another ranch in Hera, Oklahoma, a bigger one. Um, and then I rehabbed and sold it and made a profit. And then, you know, we moved to Texas. So I don't know. I just naturally have like a love for real estate and doing that, you know, kind of like a cult. You go pick out a cult and then you you know, make it into something great. And it's just kind of like I do the same thing with property. So, but I own them, but now, um, you know, I've dabbled and, you know, sold some big ranches, um, like on my road. And my first big one I ever sold was actually in Oklahoma for like 2.2 million. Wow. So I, I don't do a whole lot of listings because you have to be home a lot to babysit and take care of it and so I've been a buyer's agent for quite a while um, and that seems to work out good for me but a lot of the transactions I've done have just been off market so um, I kind of know my area and kind of do that I just really when I work on a on a property it's I give it my whole attention so I don't want like 10 of those at one time right <laughs> Right. So that's kind of been my focus um, and my husband's, you know, into commercial real estate. So we've, it's, we have a lot in common that way. And I don't know, I just, uh, I looked at it as supplementing my training income. And so I got my Texas real estate license first and then eventually just got my Oklahoma. So I can sell in either state. Yeah, good deal. Well, Let's kind of go into a little bit of the barrel racing aspect, since this is a, is a barrel racing podcast. But we have to talk about Stella, because this would not be complete if we didn't at least spend an hour talking about her. <laughs> so, uh, hello, Stella. She's a seventeen or 2017 Bay Mare by the Goodbine Lane out of Go-Go fame. Um, I have a few stats here. She's a 2021 
Breeders' Challenge Horse of the Year and Futurity Champion, as well as Glenwood Southwest Desert Classic, and there's a 10 more. She is just the coolest mare. She's got such a cool style to watch the two of you run together. Literally just gives me goosebumps. I'm just so fascinated how you can keep what what my husband calls AIS, keep your ass in the saddle. (laughs) (laughs) You two have just had an amazing few years together because she's not that old she's only uh, eight years old is that right is that, no no that's not right six, this six. Year. Gosh, yep. I suck at math six okay so fill us in a little bit more like when you got her did you get her when she was young was she born like just tell us all the things about Stella okay well thank you for all the compliments she's she really is a very very special mare um I think she probably has her own fan club without any social media <laughs> me <laughs> yeah I, it's funny some of the videos i see you know people like like if someone sends me a video you could just see people going to the fence yes. to watch her so um anyway she i actually bred raised and trained her okay. and that's what makes it even more special mm-hmm. um and <laughs> like Back when she was, the year she was born, I was in Hera, Oklahoma, and I honestly was going through some personal um, trials at that time um, about, I was in partnership, you know, with GoGo, Herb Dam, and um, some of the embryos, you know, I had pulled during that time, and Anyway, I was dissolving that partnership, and it was uh, a three-year, it was a long three-year ordeal. And um, anyway, long story short, how I even came up with her name is I needed something positive in my life at that time, and I was trying to figure out a name, and I'm like, goodbye lane, go-go fame. I'm like, I didn't want anything to do with goodbye. I needed, like, hello, you know, something. Positive, yeah, and so hello. I just did the opposite of goodbye, and she just looked like a queen, and so Stella it was, and that's kind of name came about. <laughs> but um, she she's been a rock star from like day one. Um, Emily was working for me at the time, and and actually Dakota Bingham broke her for I think her first thirty rides, and then. Um, gave her a break you know during the summer and then Emily worked for me that winter and so as Stella was coming into her three-year-old year year, she rode her that winter and I'd always ask her well how'd Stella do today well I didn't ride her and finally I was like okay how come you never ride Stella and she's like because she already knows what to do (laughs) and of course when I threw my leg over like she just naturally had that come around on the outside rain and would just stay round and she was super cool I didn't really know how great she was I knew she was going to be a good colt uh, for Charity Horse because like in the fall of her three-year-old year when you're exhibitioning and then you start hauling mm-hmm. and start clocking you know that kind of tells the tale and she would always run one of the fastest times at the exhibitions and so course you know then when you crack them out at the first you know event which for her was the bfa um in november um around the 15th 16th they had the slot race and she just popped out there and won third and thirty-two thousand. and i wow. thought wow 
Yeah, I got one. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I bet you didn't sleep hardly at all that night. <laughs> well, I mean, I've kind of been here before. Um, fortunately, I've rode a lot of other great horses as well. Um, but I'm telling you, Stella just has this determination that's a lot like me. And I mean, I'm not kidding. We are like, we are so tight and like a team together. And, you know, in 2021, when, you know, she started breaking the records of, you know, all time leading mare. And then it was like, after we won breeders challenge, I mean, she broke the record of all time leading you know, horse, fraternity mm-hmm. horse. And then when she won the pink buckle, it was just like, what? <laughs> I mean, I, we won five in a row right there. And right. it was just, we were just on a roll. We were just focused to just go do the best we could. And, you know, how we won at the two largest maturities of the year, that's hard to back up, right. you know, back that up, back to back. And when the Breeders' Challenge, maturity and Open, and then she backed it up, winning the pink buckle futurity and open race. No, that's just amazing. That's like it's like a racehorse, you know, winning the the triple crown almost. Like <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get like, any closer. It just doesn't come along or happen very often. And yeah, she's she just has a determination and grit and don't quit. And you know, we made. I mean, there's there was some runs. I'm. Um, that you know she would slip or something would happen you know like behind that first barrel and I mean she just like pins her ears and just snaps back and is like oh no we're not that's not gonna put us out and that's just the mentality she has and I mean her confidence gave me confidence and I'm sure mine gave her confidence and just together you know we made a great team and and really um I feel like she's kind of legendary, you know, and just really special. And she just continues to show how great and special she is. Now she's, you know, we kind of dipped our toes in the rodeos. And I mean, we went to one qualifier in Uvalde for the San Antonio. We make it through that. And then we get to San Antonio. We make it to the short round she like runs the fastest time of the entire event and in that round like outrun them by like three or four tenths like just insane you know yeah (laughs) so she's she's pretty special yeah every time she runs you can see the grit in her like I think you know sometimes when you see a horse run you don't know if it's a gelding or a mare especially when they call it by its you know registered name but when you watch her run I, like, the very first time, of course, I knew she was a mare, but you could tell she was a mare by the grit and, uh, like, just the look on her face. She ducks those ears back, like, coming around the third barrel, like, you know, almost every run I've seen you guys do. I love to watch the horse's face because she ducks her ears and, like, sticks her nose out, like, like she's in it to win it. It is so yeah. cool to watch her. She is. That is, I mean, and like just being around her on a day-to-day basis, she just has this demeanor of, you know, if somebody new comes to the barn and they like want to go pet Stella, I mean, the first thing she does is like sniff them like, who are you and what are you doing in my space? Yeah. And she just has this confident demeanor. Like she doesn't want to be petted. 
you know, and be a spoiled little horse. Like she is like queen of the barn and like everybody knows it, mm-hmm. but she doesn't do it in a boastful way. She's just a very confident horse and secure. And here she is. Those don't come around very often. No. <laughs> yeah. And she absolutely has no like bad quirks or habits other than she's a little bit like her mother and they're a little bit pushy on the ground. But like, in other words, like if I'm leading her, it's like, okay, I want to go over here and I want to go do this. And, you know, she might drag me around a little bit. But other than that, like she is like, has no, she doesn't do anything wrong. Like she does, she doesn't buddy up. She hauls, she eats, she doesn't paw. Like she's just like always, okay, let's go do this, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you've taken the time to figure that out too, you know, you know, you've taken the time and put in the effort to figure out, you know, how to prep their stomachs. You know, I see that you, you know, use a lot of liniment and you use cloud boots, you know, you do everything you can to prep her to be the best version of her anytime you, whether you're staying at home or hauling as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I am big on preventative, but that's because, you know, I've just done this for so long. So, right. Yeah. I agree. Well, I love to chat with other barrel racers and see how they keep their horses in top riding shape. Whether, um, so what are some things that you do in the barn and in the arena to keep your horses in peak condition? That is a great question. Um, I do a lot of therapy. Um, so, and I, and I do believe, um, that doing a little bit more consistently on a day to day basis, is much user friendly for my horses as far as training. Like I don't, I don't, I don't miss two or three days in a row and then go cram on them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day on each horse and get what I want accomplished or reiterated the basics into. And then I just always quit them on a good note. So I want them to stay happy during their training. And then as far as like therapy every day, the horses that I, that are in training go on the third plate every day, either as a warm up or a cool down. Um, and then I do um, uh, like a PEMF complete treatment uh, always the day before I make a run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm like an avid MVP user in supplements, so um, pretty much everything in training and competing is on gastroplex pellets daily pellets um for their gut and then um exceed six way pretty much has six different um supplements within one and it's extremely concentrated um the reason why i've been using mvp i mean i think i'm going on like 12 to 13 years now but they i've just i've tried everything pretty much on the market but i just noticed real results in about two weeks um whether i'm starting a three-year-old on in sync when they come in on training like i've just seen a difference and to me i have to be a believer in the product to use it and you know promote it and just share it with other people so um and then i'm big on pht magnet blankets um i do back on track uh but in the winter time uh, never use those in the summer. It's just it's 
kind of hot, too but, hot, yeah. um, PHT you can use all year long. Um, I also travel, um, in the trailer with hide suits. I'm a big believer in the compression. Um, I mean, trailering is really, really hard on a horse. And if you've never ridden back there, I suggest everyone get in their trailer and just exactly. go down their it local road and back. And then they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And then I put the cloud boots, you know, on their feet for the shock. And, you know, my trailer, I upgraded that a couple of years ago. It's probably the last one I'll ever have, but um, I got a twister and I put the worm floor in it. It's got the airbag ride system, air ride system on the trailer, and my truck has airbags. So I'm, I'm really, really big on making sure my horses are comfortable um, on a day-to-day basis, and probably more than myself, <laughs> and I'm working on that. <laughs> They do make a PHT back cushion for trucks now, I see. I have that. Yeah. It does help, yes. Yeah. Every every little bit helps, especially when, like you said, I have been in the back of my trailer. I remember one time my husband was just pulling around from the barn and back up to the house where we park it over by the garage. And I was like, I'm just going to ride in the back. I just want to see what it's like. And he just drove through, you know, 50 yards of the pasture. And it was so rough and that was kind of a this has been eight years ago and that was a turning point for me too so I completely agree with you if you haven't been in your trailer to experience it you need to because you need it it, it'll make you feel differently about hauling your horses absolutely and actually they should just be in it when they go down the road stopping and turning that's huge too so um how much like stopping and turning you know makes a difference on their balance but yeah so I'm very careful yeah all my friends make fun of me because I drive very slow and so does my husband I don't care because I try to tell myself like I pretend like I'm hauling a glass of milk and if I spill one drop of that glass of milk like you you just can't because when you're taking a turn and you, you shouldn't be accelerating and you should be braking hard going through that turn because it's the G-force that puts them up against the walls. And it's, it, it's way more than what people realize. Way, way more, for sure. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, well, let's segue into, um, I want to talk about your tagline. I am so excited. I have stalked your Facebook page probably more than anybody because I love to talk about taglines. This is like, this is so cool. And so I want you to tell us all the things, like how did you get started? What makes it different than other taglines? I'll just let you take it from here. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, Oh my gosh. So I think I went my first trip to Arizona out to those maturities um, was like in 2011 and I um, they had a um, free clinic with Dave Elliott on teeth and about the horses teeth and you know they're structural and and he had bits and so I was intrigued and I went and I was like okay this guy definitely has a lot of knowledge, right, about the horse's anatomy and how the bit fits. So I ended up collaborating with him shortly after to design my my line that I have now. And, um, and that's kind of how my bits got started. Um, I have a new main, I have a different manufacturer now in the USA, and that's just a lot more convenient for shipping and stuff like that. So, and I do offer free shipping on my website. 
Um, but the bits are all custom made with stainless steel. And um, like I started out with like a training from the beginning of their training to finished horses. And that's pretty much what my line of bits are from like, um, uh, like an O-ring gag to a short shank that I transitioned my colts out of the O-ring into. And, and then, you know, I have some modified bits and I'm big on, I like a lot more purchase than I do shank. And the purchase is the top part of the bit. So that just really helps your horses like break at the pole, round their shoulders and back, and then, you know, get on their rear end. So it really helps the collection process of the training and um, I don't have a lot of gag on my bits because I want an immediate effect and what happens is that like my bits are designed to do the work for us and work as leverage and in return that allows the rider's hands to be lighter and they don't have to pull and drag and to me, when we, you know, because we're a speed event, when you have to pull and drag one, especially on the backside of the barrel, like they just become braced, you know, they brace against that. And so I try to, you know, have an immediate effect and just create more lightness in the horse's mouth with the bits that I build. I think that's awesome. I watched a couple of the videos and I noticed that you have a really cool but different O-ring. Yeah, I have um, I have just like a regular O-ring, but I put like a little bar through the through the circle to give it just a little bit of a lift effect. But then, yeah, the next step out of that is my O-ring that has a chin strap, and it has like a little tiny shank, a little ring, you know, yeah. that you can start the lift process. So it's like a graduation from up uh, from a. Oh, a regular o-ring yeah like a so standard o-ring really introduces you know the little things that you need before you get to a shank yeah before you just throwing it in their mouth and praying ba- praying baby jesus just takes the reins <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. so like i said i've watched a few of the videos and i think that i can speak for everybody that we want to learn more about your bits so where could we go to to learn more about your bits and find out more information Okay, so my website, it's SharonHall.com, and I spell it Mm S-H-A-R-I-N, Hall.com, and that pretty much has, like, all my bits. I also have a line of saddles, and I also build pads. And, like, all my products, like, I've designed and built for my horse's comfort in mind, and then also the rider, but always the horse comes first. so my my pads basic I was a CSI dealer for quite a few years and I love their concept um but when I I wanted to build my own and make a pad of my own and when I went to do research on you know what materials you know that I wanted and I mean honestly the English industry had done all that research for me and I knew quickly right away that I definitely had to have fleece on their back that's all that they put on their horse's back it's either fleece or quilt Hmm. they don't do and so I dove a little deeper on that and what I read and researched was wool 
is wool. I mean, as soft as some of the wools out there are, it's still wool. And at the end of the day, it starts breaking down hair first and then tissue. And I really feel like that's why we have a lot of sore backs and the in, in the loin area where that constant where the wool would like constantly rub, right. even when you're walking, moving, or running. And then when the horse's back gets sore, what do they do? They start, you know, um, hollowing out to get away from it. And then we come out of the collection mode and then I feel like when horses are hollowed out and loping around hollowed out all the time I think that also can cause other diseases like this you know kissing spine and stuff like that when your horse is out of position I feel like all of that kind of relates to the improper body position I think it also can like we don't have as we noticed, like everybody has problems with their horse's feet. They don't grow any heel, you know? And I just, I think all of this is just related to improper body position. So I'm big on that in my training program. Yeah. Um, going back to your saddles, I see that you have, Stella has her own saddle. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, I had, you know, I'm trying to simplify. And I mean, of course, we custom build for anybody like they can send us a picture of what they want and we can build it probably for half the price than what's out there in the market right now but um she's in a hard seat all rough out and it's on my um my pro series light saddle and so i've just kind of you know cut down a lot and most of the leather that i can possible to make it more lightweight so that's what the stella saddle is yeah um so Tell us a little bit, because I'd love to talk saddles as well, because I agree with you that, you know, so, and especially starting out, when I first started out barrel racing or doing speed events, I didn't know anything about saddle fit. If your saddle doesn't fit right, a pad is not going to fix it. And I think that was a big myth when I, when I was, when I first started riding, they're like, oh, if your saddle doesn't fit, it's all right, just get a thicker pad. Well, let me tell you that that is not accurate. So, and especially, you know, when you're first starting out, you know, you get your first horse. I did not grow up with horse parents at all. We had pigs. So complete opposite. And so Uh, I did not, we, we just, we just didn't know. Thankfully, I now have a very good village and tribe of people that I completely trust, but it took me a long time to get that tribe of people that I trust. So I'm going to have you elaborate a little bit more about, about your saddle line. Um, cause I have listened to you on other podcasts, talk about your saddle line, but I think it's so important the way you designed your saddle for the fit of the horse. Yeah. So, um, gosh, I started my saddles, like, I want to say it was before my bits and I saw Cecil Phillips and I think it was the same year I was out there in Arizona and mm-hmm. he was there and had a couple saddles set up or something and I picked his brain and I said hey I said I'm wanting to build a saddle that fits you know a lot of different horses because I was a trainer and at that time I was probably riding 18 or 20 head a day and I needed something that I could just go from horse to horse and it was going to fit and I had one saddle in my barn that did that and it was actually an old billy cook and that's what i was raised on my dad rode in them i rode in them they just you know when you have a fit right when you first start you just kind of stick with that but i took cecil that 
saddle and I said, this thing fits everything. I go, but I'd like you to like, just take it with you, break it down. He said, I'll help you build a tree. So that's what he did. He took that old saddle and he pulled it out and he called me and he was like, this is a Billy Cook um, cutting tree. Mm -hmm. And I oh, well, that's probably why it fits. He goes, yeah, it's got like a cutout, you know, underneath the leg for a close contact fit. And I go, well, how can we make it better, you know, for the horses that, you know, the way our barrel horses are made these days? And he goes, well, I just flare those bars in the front because the back bars were already flared. And so that's what we did. And that's the tree that I have um, in my saddles. And it comes, I really only just have two sizes. My standard's like six and three quarter, and and my wide fit is a seven inch. And you wouldn't think a quarter inch would make a difference, but it does. Sure. A lot of it, like, has to do with that ground seat and that angle that that sits in there, too. So all of that, you know, put together, that's kind of what my tree is. It's a modified Buster Welch cutting tree, and it just fits a lot of different horses. Now, I know in the last 10 years... You know, everybody's gone in that direction. You got to have this tree for this horse. Well, a lot of people that's got three or four or five, ten different horses, I mean, it's kind of unaffordable. And so that was the big of why I built my saddles. And I still love them today. um, and, And that's all I ride in. Yeah, that's wonderful. I remember hearing about a Buster Welsh cutting tree when I first started barrel racing, too. And I myself rode in a Billy Cook for, and it was a, actually when I first started out, I started off with the Billy Cook cutter and it was a bigger seat. And actually got, I remember a couple of girls, you know, they were kind of giggling at me because I went to a barrel racing clinic in a cutting saddle, but it's what fit me and it's what worked and it's all I could afford at the time. Like it, it was pretty much free. So, hey, you know, you got, you got to do what you got to do, but um, it fit my mare that I had, like 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 a glove so it worked really well so so now that you've talked about your saddles um your saddle pads I know we talked a little bit about that but do you have different sizes different thicknesses elaborate a little bit more about your saddle pads now okay so you know back to I really like the CSI concept um and they had that insert which was made out of like plastic Um, but I didn't, I couldn't really feel my horse underneath that plastic. And so I went with a, um, a gel like memory foam that took a lot of that shock, but it conformed to the horse's body type. And, um, so that's the insert that I have and it works as shock, but more like conforms like a memory deal. So like I had a lady one time come up to me at the BBR finals. I had a booth set up and she had, I mean, a big old 16 hand horse wide as a a truck and she couldn't find a saddle to fit. And she ended up buying a, a seven inch wide. Um, and she bought my pad and the reason why she couldn't find them sat like she had bought every one that was on the market. But when I looked at her horse, I stood behind him and he had an atrophied shoulder and I'm like, this is why you can't find a saddle to fit. And so literally that my pad did fit that horse and she's still running in my saddle, but, um, it allowed that pad to fill in that gap, you know, but I have like a single stitch down the middle because I don't want anything pressing. Mm -hmm. 
I don't want a piece of leather. I don't want anything down the middle of that pad that's going to press on that spine. So my single stitch kind of like is like a teepee, right? It just kind of stays off the spine. And then the insert fills in like behind the wither and on those on the back and up to the loin. And then um, I have like a light, I wanted something lightweight. I've got some shoulder issues a few years ago and I wanted something super lightweight that I could throw up there with one hand. And so I went with a canvas uh, top material. So it's extremely breathable and um, the bottom is fleece. So everything I have is breathable. And that's another thing about wool is it traps and keeps bacteria in. I want something that it's just going to, like, when a horse sweats underneath the fleece, like, it just rolls off. It doesn't, like, trap up in there. So that was, that's kind of the basis of, of my pad. Yeah, and I bet that would hold up really well because I know I've tried saddle pads in the past that I've had for, like, a year. And then they just kind of disintegrate away because of the horse's sweat, the wear and tear. My barn cats get in there and want to play on it. Like, so I feel like that, especially with the canvas material, that'd be easy to keep clean and it would last for a long time. It does keep really clean. Um, you know, basically when, you know, you're, you're sewing all these heavy things together, you know, that's probably the first thing that goes is maybe a stitch, you know, but that can be easily repaired at any tack shop. Right. But, um, that's pretty much like, I just power wash them top and bottom and they're like new again. I am very excited to talk to you about your foundation. And I I did not know you even had this when I had contacted you. You've been on my list to contact for the podcast for, I don't know, probably six months. And sometimes I just get like, I don't know, I get a little bit of stage fright because I've been a fan of yours for so long that I'm like, oh, I'm going to put it off for a little while. Maybe next time, maybe next week. And so finally, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to send her a Facebook message. Maybe she'll reply. And, you know, I feel like God puts people and places and things in our lives for the right time for the right reason. So um, your foundation is called Barrels for Brains. So um, it's something that I have done a little bit of research on now, and I'm just blown away by the science behind it. So I think that um, it anyways, so when it comes to football, hockey, other major contact sports, head injuries are constantly, I mean, constantly talked about concussions, all these things. Yet, I can't tell you how many times that I've been hackled myself for wearing a helmet, and sometimes by my own friends. So, I'm going to let you talk about your foundation, how it got started, the passion behind it, and all the things about your about it. Yeah, so, well, I, I, I found out too, but not till about, I don't know, 2014, I went to a oh like a weekend I don't know coaching seminar you would call it in California and it was a guy named Brendan Bouchard was speaking and he basically is one of the largest paid coach in the world like he coaches Oprah Winfrey people like that Mm -hmm. but anyway he had Dr. Amen come and speak during that weekend and that is what really really intrigued me and educated me on our sport as I sat there and listened to him he's like studied a bunch of football players and 
um, sled bobbing and all those type of events that, you know, have a lot of impact, have a lot of G-force. And um, I just started putting it together with barrel racing. And I mean, for one, I've never had a memory, like short-term or long-term memory like I would want. Um, I just have short snippets of my childhood to couldn't tell you what I ate yesterday but um and I'm working on rehabbing my brain right now but I once once I figured out that like the g-force that we encounter when we barrel race is basically having like a minor concussion and if you notice a lot of people that have barrel raced for a long time all have some type of memory issue um, or maybe some other side effect from it. But also uh, people in the horse industry have how many times have been bucked off or had an accident and, you know, they just kind of blow that off as nothing. But it's, it, it's, it's real and it happens and um, memory loss short or long term is just one of the side effects. But, you know, there's been a lot of people in our industry and a couple of them are on my board um, that, you know, have had these TBIs and one of our board members actually died and actually came back to life. Um, and his story was in one of my other podcasts. Um Brandon Wilson so that was that was really interesting but there's there's a lot of people that get these injuries and then you know they're just told from a regular type hospital you know go home you know rest and you know just be in a dark room and you'll get eventually get over it but the people that had major TBIs um, had to retrain and learn maybe how to walk again how to talk again and those type of injuries, you have to go to other, you know, um, clinics that, you know, don't, aren't covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. So I, there's Austin developing, uh, mines. That's one here in Texas that a couple of, uh, my board members have actually gone to and got rehabilitated back to somewhat of a life, you know, that they can live again and be somewhat normal. But those are big, huge out of pocket expenses to do that. And that's one of the reasons why we started this foundation is how many people do we know in our industry that have actually gotten hurt and had to go get care somewhere else out of pocket. And that's what we designed this this um, barrels for brains to do is help those that are in need um, past insurance. I think that is absolutely amazing. There's I agree with you. I don't think there's enough awareness out there. Um, and I do know a lot of people that have barrel raced their entire lives and they have major brain issues and memory issues and, you know, constant headaches. And you, re- I don't think that people even realize it. I, I agree. I mean, and even uh, equilibrium problems, you know, can occur from that as well. Uh, dizziness. Um, all of those things, but yes, that I, I, I mean, I'm kind of spread thin on my time. And so, um, I really do want to get this foundation out. Um, I don't feel like we really have an industry foundation. And so I would like for people to start considering, you know, having this as their 
you know, our industry foundation and other people to become a part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, help us, you know, with decisions on, you know, who gets the care and, you know, there's, I mean, we've had small children in our industry that have died from, you know, accidents, you know, coming off the horse and, you know, hitting their head. So, you know, back to the helmets that, you know, I feel like should be a law. If, if a child is under 18, that they should wear a helmet. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, being an advocate for our health, you know, and I know we always put our horses first, but like it's time that we start taking care of ourselves. I, I, I would like producers, you know, to take take note that, you know, if you want to give back to the community, give to a 501c3 foundation, and this would be the perfect one, because I feel like that's the biggest thing that happens if someone gets hurt, is it's a it's a traumatic brain injury or head injury of some sort, and this is the perfect way to get post-syndrome, post, uh, what do they call that, traumatic syndrome? PTSD, um, yeah. Yep, and and but then they're getting a bunch of these like rough stock, you know, bull riders, rough stock guys that, and you know, I know of another barrel racer that you know had a bad accident up there, and like she rehabbed through the hyperbaric chambers, and so there's there's lots of different treatments and things out there, and the ways different ways that people are rehabilitating their their brains back. So it's bringing awareness you know, of all those different things that we can do. And then this foundation can help fund that for somebody that gets hurt. Yeah, I agree. Because like I said, if you're listening to this, at some point, you're more than likely going to have been affected in some way, shape or form, or even had a friend or a loved one that's been affected by it too. So I wanted to share a quick version of how I feel that that God has brought us together here today on this exact podcast episode. Um, So back in 2014, I got in a really bad truck accident. Um, Since then, I've had several horse accidents, you know, falling off. I got yard darted a couple times, got flung off the top. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been whiplashed, thrown and jerked around. So since then, um, I'd say in the last maybe eight years or so, I've had suffered from headaches, migraines, um, short-term, long-term memory loss, my memory's terrible anyways, but it's gotten even worse. Vision problems, balance issues, anxiety, stomach problems, focus issues, you name it, I've had it. So after spending some time with my therapist, she led me to a clinic called the Amen Clinic, which I know you've talked about Dr. Daniel Amen before. Um, so these clinics, they specialize in head trauma and brain injuries and helping to heal ADD and ADHD. Um, so they discovered that I had several head injuries to my brain with all the accidents and the constant jarring of horseback riding that we do every day. So now I've developed ADD as an adult, which has brought on, brought on a lot of these symptoms. So had I gone on to my actual doctor with all these issues, I'm sure they just would have thrown me on medicine over and over trying to fix my symptoms. And I wanted to fix the actual problem. So with my doctor from the Amen Clinic, instead of medicine, he has me on a ton of supplements and we're also using red light therapy. Um, It's literally like a red light therapy cap, just like what we use for horses only. It goes on my head and heals my brain. It's pretty cool. So um, he told me, I seemed pretty skeptical at first, but he told me, he's like, Amy, I've helped heal football players, you know, with all the concussions and everything they get, boxers, wrestlers. 
everybody has very similar injuries um, to their brain, but you know, your body and your brain can heal itself. We are very capable of doing that, but you have to give it the right environment. So I know things take time and it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but we have a really good personalized game plan for myself and it's just going to take time. And I've actually really enjoyed talking about it with people because it's amazing how much people don't realize that they're affected. Um, I was talking with Charmaine James. She's a friend of mine. I think you guys might know her, but I was chatting with her a couple of weeks ago and she was really intrigued to learn about it too. And she agreed, we just need to bring awareness about this to the Western industry because I just don't think a lot of people are very aware about it. That is exactly right. It is very true. And bringing awareness is, you know, the first step. And then, you know, getting your own personal recovery. The research is out there. You just need to do it and figure out, you know, what's the best plan for you. Um, Yeah, I'm doing the supplements. Um, I have a brain tap um, uh, system that I also use um, Mm -hmm. to help and then to focus so it's it's all good um it's it's this is the first step is just getting the awareness out there but Mm -hmm. you know let's all bind together you know for the good of our sport and you know help one another to stay on track and you know to to have an industry um charity that's really what girls for brains does is become our industry's charity as we need one well i want to ask you a question that i ask everybody that i have on the podcast and there's no wrong answer there's no right answer you can answer this however you like if you could change anything about the horse industry what would it be that would be it i guess is just um bringing awareness you know for the barrels and brains but also like we need one central location of some sort that we that even older people i know everything is so based um all the information is given through free social media you know sites but there's a lot of older people still in our industry whether they're an owner competitor that you know really aren't on facebook or instagram and i just feel like we need to have a central location that even the older people can go to to get information about our industry. Yeah. I don't know if that's a website or what, but. <clears throat> a, a daily newsletter that's sent out, or not daily, a weekly newsletter that's sent out via mail. Cause I, I had know some older barrel racers that they, I think some of them are slowly kind of getting out one by one, but they would love to stay in the loop, but they can't because <laughs> they don't have yeah. uh, what they call a quote, unquote, they have quote unquote dumb phones as they tell me. <laughs> yeah. I know. And I mean, you know, me being in the futurity industry all my career, like they sold like a new slot race would happen and then they would post it on Facebook and it would be like sold out in eight minutes or whatever. And it's like, I don't even I'm not on Facebook all day long. You know, I'm a poster and then I go about my day. Yeah, I just feel like we need a different system. And I'd like to see one that, you know, keeps track of our horses and riders all in one place, you know, that we could go to. And, you know, even the older people or generation that doesn't want to be on the social media, that's, that would be my suggestion. Okay, well, let's get into the fun part of the show, kind of the last part here before we let you go. Um, I'm going to ask you 10 rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, what's your favorite food? Oh, seafood. Number two, what's your favorite drink? Water. How many animals do you own besides horses? 
three dogs, uh, three donkeys. Oh, that's it? Six? Wow. <laughs> Shocking. I th- Most people say, like, oh, I have 15 birds, seven chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I used to have chickens, and I do want to get them again. Yeah. Four, what was the last movie you went and saw in a movie theater? Top Gun. <laughs> Wait, the new one or the old one? The new one. Uh, <laughs> the new- say, it's been a long time here. Number five, on a scale from one to ten, how good are you at pole bending? Um, I used to be really good. I had a 19-second pole horse um, back in Ohio, and I really, really enjoyed poles. So I would give myself an eight. Six, who's your favorite rodeo athlete? Would that be horse or rider? <laughs> Either one. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of great ones out there. Um, I mean, I I really like to watch Lisa Lockhart ride. Mm-hmm. I like um, a horse like Louie. Um, I really like Sherry Surrey and the way she rides. She's real quiet, sits mm-hmm. in the middle. Right. Yeah. Agreed and agreed. Can you speak any languages besides English? Uh, a little Spanish. Favorite for charity? Old Fort Days, for sure. Nine, do you have any nicknames? Oh, my bestie calls me Shay Shay. That's my middle name, Shay. Ten, if you could ride any horse, dead or alive, who would it be? Gosh, dead or alive. There's a lot of great ones dead, but there's a lot of good ones alive. I'd probably have to say Louie. I'd like to ride Louie. That'd be fun. Yeah. I feel like she looks like she'd be an easy rider to ride after. But then again, I feel like I'd get on and like my ass would be back behind the saddle, hand on the horn. <laughs> like, I'd have a hard time holding on. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sharon, I cannot thank you enough for your time today and being with us on the show. You're so knowledgeable and passion. your passion for the industry is so contagious. We can all thank you so much for what you're doing to make the industry a better place. Tell us where we can find you on social media. So I have a barrel horse page, Sharon Hall Barrel Horses on Facebook. Um, I think on Instagram, I have the Pro Series tag. And then, you know, my website. I'm, I know websites kind of went away for a little while, but like that's a stable place that you can find all the information in one spot. So that's SharonHall.com. Be sure to check out her website, www.sharonhall.com. That's S-H-A-R-I-N-H-A-L-L.com. On Facebook, she goes by Sharon Hall Barrel Horses, and I promise you will love the videos and content that she posts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at The Barrel Horse Life, where you'll find some behind-the-scenes content, store merch, and new episodes. Visit the store website at www.thebarrelhorselife.store. We got some pretty new cool shirts launching. I promise you don't want to miss out. This episode of the podcast was edited, produced, and marketed by me, Amy Davenport, right from my tidy recording closet. This is The Barrel Horse Life.